Hello and welcome to another episode of the League One Lowdown, your weekly podcast based on all things League One, the biggest news and topics and debates regarding English football's third tier. I am your host, Matt. I'm back again on the podcast. Hosting duties after my episode last week, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Broom. Alex, how are you? Um, all right, thank you, Matt. I've been, been enjoying watching the Pales so far. It's been good football. It's been nice to have a bit, bit, bit of a breather, not relating to Wickham. Exactly that, mate, and I've enjoyed watching the Plows as well. And last but not least, I'm always joined by Joe Citrone, as I am on this week's episode. Joe, how are you? Yeah, yeah, not bad, mate. Miss, missing the football a bit, you know, but, you know, getting by, getting by. Who isn't uh, missing the football? But uh, speaking about the Plows, of course, Sunday sees uh, the last game of the League One season for 2018-19. And it's arguably the biggest one uh, involved. It's Charlton versus Sunderland in the playoff final with the team winning going into the championship. Of course, Charlton uh, reached the showpiece game on Sunday by winning on a penalty shootout against Doncaster. They won the second leg. uh, Well, they lost the second leg uh, 3-2 to Doncaster, but won on penalties after Tommy Rowe and John Marquis, would you believe, missed for Doncaster that sealed their place for Sunderland. They didn't have to go through the uh, circumstances as uh, Charlton did, but they managed to uh, reach Wembley narrowly by winning 1-0 on aggregate against Portsmouth as they do the second leg 0-0 at Fratton Park. So, Joe, how do you see the player final on Sunday going? It makes certainly for an interesting game, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. I think two, obviously, big clubs that I think will be hoping to, to get into, back into the Championship. Um, I think with with Sunderland, um, it's, it's 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 difficult. I think they're sort of set up for the playoffs. Really, they draw a lot of games. They they edge a lot of games. They, I think they know how to manage games as well. I think we saw that in the in the, in the second leg. They just saw it out against Portsmouth. Charlton, despite being on a, a sort of good run of form, showed some vulnerabilities against Doncaster under pressure. So I think it is going to be an interesting game. Uh, I've sort of been back in Charlton um, since the beginning of the playoffs. Really, I'm not I'm not going to waver from that now. But Sunderland, of course, if they if their big players turn up. Um, such as like Aidan McGeady and, and and guys like that, uh, Will Grigg if he if he gets to start, then uh, then they're obviously very dangerous and uh, we'll be hoping to win. And of course they've got that earlier Wembley experience from the Checker Trade Trophy as well, which I think will stand them in good stead. Yeah, uh, you make some very very good points there. Um, Alex Joe made a very good point about how Sunderland are almost set up to be the perfect modern day playoff team in terms of drawing games and and really holding out. Do you think that that could be the key for them beating Charlton on Sunday? Uh, yeah, I think that's going to be um, a really big part of the game because I was, similar to Joe, I was back in Charlton from the start of the playoffs. But after watching the way Sunderland managed to keep Portsmouth for arm's leg for the whole of the second leg um, last week, I've started to change my mind. I now think Sunderland are going to be able to um, do something similar against Charlton on Sunday. But it, it's going to be by no means um, a straightforward task to keep the likes of um, Lyle Taylor quiet. But if um they can do if they can handle it similarly to how they played against um Portsmouth last week then I can see Sunderland possibly grinding out a one 0 win due to the fact that as you say they're so good at um managing games and grinding out results and they're tough to beat as well. Very good points again. Um we'll just move on to the predictions. I'll yeah, start with Joe uh in terms of how he sees the game going. Joe, what do you think for a prediction? Who's gonna go up to the championship? I think obviously it's always they're always quite cagey these games. Um, I think uh, there was a I think in 1998 or something there was a playoff final between Charlton and Sunderland that ended 4-4. I can't see that happening again. I think it will be cagey. I think they'll probably be decided by the odd goal. And I think I'm going to go for one nil Charlton. I'm still going to back Charlton. I think 
the the momentum they took into the playoffs. I know they had a bit of a wobble in the second leg against Doncaster, but uh, I, I'm backing them to to just about overcome uh, overcome Sunderland and reach the championship. I think. Alex, are you going to go with a Charlton win or are you going for Sunderland? Um, no, I'm going to go for Sunderland. Actually, I, I did um, fancy Charlton like before the playoffs started, but I've just seen the I've just seen the way Sunderland played against Portsmouth, and I think that's going to be super effective against Charlton if they can do it right again. I think the game might head to extra time because usually playoff finals are quite like tightly contested. You don't often see a team run away with it unless it's um, Preston against Swindon the other year. But I think it's going to be um, a very close game, maybe one all in 90 minutes, and then Sunderland just to nick that winning goal in extra time to win 2-1 after extra time. I'm going to go with what you said, Alex. I think that similar situation. It'll, I think it'll go to extra time. I think it'll be a very tight affair. I think both sides will have their moments in the game. But I just think Sunderland will shade in extra time. So they'll obviously join Barnsley losing into uh, League One. But the main part of the show now is obviously we're doing the season reviews last week. We went from 24th to uh, 18th. Now we're going from 17th to 11th. And this is very interesting because three of the seven sides are three teams that we support. Wickham, Bristow and Oxford. The uh, order is from 17th to 11th, as it's said. So Wickham, Rochdale, Bristol Rovers, Accrington, Stanley, Gillingham, Oxford United and Fleetwood is the order from 17th to 11th. So Wickham is the first team we begin with. And there's only one man we can really turn to to talk about Wickham season. Alex, before ball was kicked, I remember speaking to you and you were saying how if you manage to stay up, it'd be a fantastic achievement. It's almost an overachievement, it seems, the club has stayed up. But to almost stay up on the penultimate game of the season, I think, is is fantastic as well. Um, how, did you, how did you see Wickham season back in League One? Are you surprised um, at all, or have you? Did you expect it? Uh, I did expect to stay up. I ultimately thought that we wouldn't um, ever get relegated under Ainsworth in our first season back in the league. Was generally a lot. A lot of the clubs who do get promoted from League Two stay up in their first season in League One. So I thought we'd manage that, and then we did that. But it was the season as a whole was a bit of a tale of two halves. Really, the first half of the season was. Um, Brilliant and a massive overachievement. At one point, we were eighth in the, I think eighth or ninth in the league, and only mm. um, four or five points off the playoffs. And everyone was getting a bit carried away, thinking, "Wow, we could actually like possibly get to the playoffs in League One," which was a bit um, a bit surreal at the time. But then we had a massive um, drop down to reality from January onwards, where there's a winless run of I think it was 14 games where you didn't pick up three points, and as you can imagine, just slowly started to slide down the table, and there was a point where a lot of Wickham fans were thinking, hang on, we might actually get relegated here after starting the season so well, but ultimately we did manage to um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, stumble over the line thanks to massive victories against Southend and Walsall towards the back end of the season, and that just about kept us afloat in League One, which I felt we deserved based on the balance of the whole season. Yeah, I, I, I agree with some of the points you're making. What do you think was the key success for the club surviving for their first year back in League One, do you um, really think? I think the way Ainsworth used the loan market in the first half of the season was absolutely massive. He's usually Ainsworth's usually very good at um, picking out um, loan players to do well at Wikisun over the years. The likes of Alfie Morse, Lebrich Easy, Jamal Blackman, loads of um, Sam Saunders, Nico Yunaris, loads of good players who um, are levels above the division we're playing and Ainsworth's managed to get them in to Wickham to play for us and buy into the way we do it. And he did... Um, the similar sort of thing with um, Bryn Morris from Shrewsbury, Fred Onya Dimmer from Millwall and Rando Williams from uh, Watford um, this season. And in the first half of the season, when we were playing with um, 
the names just mentioned the team. We've looked a really good side. We, we're getting positive results against Luton, Barnsley, um, uh, Portsmouth all in the first half of the season. And it made it, it made um, a really good view as well. Because we weren't playing um, similar styles to what we played in League 2. We just sort of like punted long to Akin and used his physical presence. We weren't even really starting Akin Fenn. We were playing the ball on the floor a lot more, a passing game, a good pressing game. And it was actually really nice to watch. It was like a nice change to be a Wickham fan at that point. Because it was just seemed like a different side to the way Ainsworth can um, get his team playing. And then when the loans expired in January, we sort of started to... That's where the slide really began. We had to sort of revert back to basics with um, uh, Akin Fenner on the side and using him as the as the um, outlet, which isn't a bad thing. Right? It's, it's still an effective way to play. But it just showed... Um, sort of like a wake-up call for how limited Wickham's resources are that we couldn't really make any real um, notable replacements for the three um, major players we lost in January. And that's probably why we started to slide down the table. Yeah, very, again, um, good points made from, from you. Joe, have you got anything to add about Wickham? Because it seems, obviously, from, from someone who's not a fan or a follower of Wickham, it almost has seen that this team spirit that Ainsworth has built mm. over the years with these players who who stuck together, um, you know, for a good few years in, in League Two, um, has really sort of carried them through. And it's just sort of, they've just built on that really, haven't they? Do you think that that was something that was key for them surviving? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think always with Wickham, I think the I think the key um, for them is, is the team spirit. I think that there's also when, when you've got... Um, I think a club with a relatively small budget, as I think Wickham probably will do, will have done this season, um, and, and Accrington you look at as well. Like I think you've got to rely on being together because you can't splash the cash necessarily on top players at this level. I think you've got to be able to, as Broom said, um, find cheap deals, sort of rough diamonds on loan, and uh, also have a good team spirit. I think Wickham have always done that um, in the past few years. I think Ainsworth has, has found sort of a good formula for the club that, that sort of works and has got them this far. And, I think it's going to be a tough season for Wickham next season because I think their budget's being cut. Um, so it's going to be an even bigger challenge, probably the biggest challenge so far for, for Ainsworth at Wickham, I imagine. But I think if they keep the sort of together uh, spirit of the, of the group, then they give themselves a chance. Whereas maybe other clubs uh, on on the, on the money that sort of uh, Wickham are running on at the moment wouldn't wouldn't stand a chance. So I think it's been a great achievement for Wickham this season to stay in the division, and um, they deserve all the plaudits really. He has done wonders uh, as Gareth Ainsworth. And as you said, next season will be very, very tough. But if a man can work miracles, it is certainly uh, Gareth Ainsworth. We move on now to a team with another relatively small budget. And that's Rochdale, which a lot of the season looked doomed, if anything. They looked consigned to League Two. Brian Barry Murphy came in, sorted the team out. Um, what makes really frightening statistics was the fact they conceded 87 goals in the league. The most of any side, so more than Scunthorpe and Plymouth, who uh, both went down. So um, he managed to go in there and, and tighten the defence up, which he needed to do because they were leaking goals for fun. Um, when we first started doing the podcast, um, we almost saw Ropstell as this team that was basically, they had no hope of staying up. And I mean, arguably, I mean, you know, whoever wants to answer this question, fair enough. Do you see this as the biggest surprise? The fact that they managed to stay up in the end, um, not quite comfortably, but in the end, sort of relatively comfortably. Would you say? Would you would you say it's up there as, as a big surprise? 
Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think you know, obviously we mentioned last week Wimbledon sort of surviving against all the odds as well. But I think Rochdale uh, at one point, uh, you know, I remember in that first podcast that we did, we were sort of talking of, this, of them as sort of relegation fodder along with along with Bradford. Um, but they managed to pull it off, and I think. You know, Brian Barry Murphy, I think he's been thrown right into the deep end in his first managerial gig. And he's done uh, he's done an incredible job, really. Um, you, you can't argue with the work he's done. It'll be interesting to see how he does over the summer because um, I think sometimes, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of easy to get that new manager bounce. But then, you know, trying to build beyond that is can, can sometimes be tough. So it'll be interesting. But, you know, you, you look at Rochdale and... Um, and their squad again. It's a relatively small budget. It's a relatively small sort of football club, really, Rochdale. But they're they're sort of they have sort of been punching above their weight. No disrespect to them, but they have been for the last few years in League One, um, and managed to stay there, and actually have some good finishes in League One as well. So I think it was inevitable that the sort of two seasons, or last season, they just stayed up um, on the last day, and again this season they struggled as well. I think it was inevitable, but I think you know it's a, there's a decent chance with a young coach in charge now, Brian Barry Murphy, for them to sort of kick on now. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, an, an amazing achievement and sort of proved us all wrong. Yeah, um, I, I, again, I think um, that it, they certainly did prove us wrong. Alex, is there anything you, you'd like to add to what Joe said that, that perhaps hasn't been touched upon? Um, well, I've got to say, when they sacked Keith Hill, I thought that was a really bold move because I thought if anyone could really dig him out of that sort of mess there, and it would have been Hill because he's a sort of manager similar to like. John Coleman and Ainsworth in many ways he's he can grind out um, results with a team that's not got the biggest budget in the world um, not got the best resources they just manage just to go back to that sort of like I know it's a phrase he's got to go back to basics and just do what the do that the simple things right to be able to keep a team afloat so when they um pulled the trick on his contract I thought that was um a massive risk especially giving it to um a bloke in Brian Barry Murphy who's never really managed before at this level and but it worked as it worked absolute wonders for them and Barry Murphy sort of um, managed the way he managed to pick um, Rochdale up. I don't. I, well, as we said earlier, none of us were expecting it, so you've got to give him massive credit for that. And another big part of the reason why they managed to stay afloat was the goals of Ian Henderson scoring twenty goals for a relegation threatened team. I mean, how many um, other players you say do that? Tommy's maybe, but then again, Gillingham finished thirteenth, so you couldn't really make a direct comparison with that. So it, 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 it's um, just testament to the job that um, Barry Murphy's done to be able to keep Rochdale the division from the, the stage over at one point where they completely looked out they were dead and buried. Yeah, he has done a terrific job. Uh, be very interesting to see how they do next season. I think no disrespect to them, but as we said, we talked about Wickham earlier, that it would be tough for them to stay up next year. You would have to feel the same about Rochdale. Now we move on to Bristol Rovers. Uh, this will be something that... Uh, Oh, well, I very much enjoyed talking about one. You know, at one stage of the season, um, there was a lot of doom and gloom around. Um, Daryl Clark, the best manager that this club has had um, for for a long, long time, certainly in my lifetime, were bit the bullet. He was given the sack. It was a bold decision. He was a fan's favourite. He was adored by the club. Um, but the decision, I thought, at the time was spot on. And obviously, looking back now, it was a masterstroke. His replacement was Graham Coughlin, who did deserve a shot after the caretaker run that he had. Sorry to say this, Jay, about beating Oxford, beating Fleetwood <laughs> and beating Warsaw um, within the space of sort of, uh, I think it was 10 days. He then um, said, you know, it's not going to be pretty, the football, but we need to play uh, not in the best manner to survive. His January recruitment was excellent. Johnson Clark Harris's goals were, were key. Big components as well was, was the defence. Um, 50 goals conceded is a phenomenal record. The goal scoring was 47, which is uh, 
was the worst in League One, which was uh, a massive downfall. Um, I pretty much touched upon the, the main things there. Um, Alex, when you saw that Rovers did sack Darrell Clark, were you, as you said with Rochdale, surprised that they did that to keep um, him? Did you think it was the right decision in this instance? Yeah, I did. I did because I thought, as, as I spoke to you quite often about the scenario, you said it sort of went a little bit stale under Clark, sort of like he'd... As a, as a phrase which is often said in football taking you as far as he could and now it's starting mm. to sort of slope downwards so I wasn't surprised that he was um, given the boot I was a little bit surprised that um, it was Coughlin who got the job on the permanent basis but he did so well and as you say in his caretaker role that you, the board sort of I guess had no choice but to give it but to give him the job really after how well he did um, when he only had it temporarily and then with um, the acquisition of Clark Harris in January, I, I still saw, I wouldn't say firmly believe, but I think if you hadn't assigned Clark Harris, you prob- might have probably got relegated, to be fair. I think no, his I goals agree. were absolutely agree. crucial in keeping um, Bristol Rovers in the in League One. But you say you only scored, what, 47 goals in it last season? Yeah, 47. Yeah, yeah, and 11 of those goals came from Clark Harris in half a season. So take those 11 goals out. I know you'd have another strike on the pitch and that's all hypothetical and whatnot, but that's a lot of goals you're missing out on in just half a season. That's probably half the goals you scored in the second half of the season was down to one player. So you've got to say that the acquisition of um, Clark Harris is absolutely massive in keeping Bristol Rovers in the league. Yeah, I think I was looking uh, since he signed. I think he won us 11, 12 points. So if you do the wow. statistics, we get 43 or 44 points, which means we finish second bottom and uh, Plymouth stay up and we go down with Walsall, Scunthorpe and Bradford. Joe, we talk about how Brian Barry Murphy and Gareth Ainsley have got massive summers ahead in terms of um, early predictions, keeping their clubs up. Coughlin wants Bristol Rovers to be this wants to be a loot and wants to be this Doncaster Rovers. I believe we're too far away at this current instance, but he wants to build. He wants us to be successful. Mm. Do you believe that the tools are in place at the club to for the for this to happen for, as a, as a neutral supporter? Um, so from the outside looking in, it's, it's it's tough to say at the moment. I think with Bristol Rovers, they're they're certainly. Uh, having sort of massive changes over the summer is what you can see. Like they've released a lot of long-time players, like Stuart Sinclair and a few, you know, Chris Lines and, and players. That. Yeah, yeah, have been there for a while. I think sort of clearing out the um, the players from the Daryl Clark era and sort of starting a new one. I think is is what Bristol is going to do over the summer. I'm not sure. I think there's always there's, there always is sort of a, a surprise team from from uh, from League One that you see sort of challenging up there every season. This side this season has been Doncaster. Next season, there's there's no reason why it can't be someone like Bristol Rovers because they are a club with good support, and you never know really with 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 Rovers. I think it's going to you know massively depend on their um, their business over the summer. And I think you know Coughlin, I think he's obviously this is going to be his first sort of big window as Bristol Rovers manager. This summer window where he's sort of got to rebuild the squad. It's a big responsibility. It's going to be interesting to see how he copes with it. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't want. To, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what to make of the manager really. I think. He had, a, he had a good start. It sort of petered out a little bit, and they sort of just, um, you know, sort of coasted to fifteenth place in the end. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, oh, is it, is, do you think Coughlin's the right man moving forward from from Bristol Rovers? What's the what's the reaction sort of in the fan base? What's the feeling in the fan base at the moment? Sort of seeing on social media. I think a lot of the support. You know, he was heavily linked with with the Plymouth job, and I think a lot mm. of the supporters would have said, you know, thanks for for keeping us up, but. I don't think you're the right man to take us forward. It is interesting. I think his summer business, I think, will will tell me how, how we're going to do. I think the style of play that he deployed with us for the first sort of five, six months of his reign, if we do play that way, 
I think we're going to have the same season. So he might have to change, but I hope he can deliver on the summer because I like the, I, I like the, you know, I like him. I like his passion. I think he's got a good heart. He under, you know, he wants us to be up there, but it's delivering it now, and it, he's got to do it. So um, it is interesting to see. But moving away from Rovers, one of the feel-good stories I think of League One has been uh, Accrington Stanley. Bearing in mind this is their first season in the division, and they they gave every single game a right good go. They drew with the likes of Sunderland. At the stadium alike, they drew a Portsmouth on the last day. They gave some teams a real tough game. I think they even managed to get some points off Cholton uh, over the season as well. So two sides, mm. of course, in the player finals that uh, they got points off. Let's start with you, Alex, because they came up with Wickham from League Two in 2017-18. They won League Two playing a great brand of football. John Coleman is, is Mr Accrington, isn't he, so to speak? Would you say that this is arguably a case for John Coleman to be one of the managers of the season in League One, the job he's done um, in stabilising the club. I'm not sure about um, maybe manager of the season. I think there are managers who have done a better job. Well, not necessarily a better job, but they've had better um, achievements than what he has. But you can't really um, take anything away from him and what he's done at Accrington to be able to keep to get them to League One and then keep them there. It's been an absolutely um, phenomenal achievement for him. And a lot. The thing is, a lot of people were um, undermining Accrington before a ball had been kicked, when they perhaps probably didn't really know too much about what they were about and um, how they played and who their key players were. And I think a lot of them maybe should have perhaps um, educated themselves a bit better because it was clear to see if you had followed League Two the year before, they played some decent football. They've got good players and they were certainly capable of um, at least on the pitch um, competing at this level. And they they showed they did that over the course of the season and. One player who I think is tremendously underrated in the league is um, Sean McConville. I think he's absolutely excellent. He always seems to be um, popping up with Accrington's goals. A lot of people give the credit to Biddy Key, but McConville, over the last couple of years, has been absolutely crucial to what um, Accrington have achieved and the way Coleman sets his teams out. So um, I'm surprised that um, perhaps bigger clubs in the league, maybe like sort of Coventry or Portsmouth, haven't come sniffing around McConville. So I think it would be a decent addition for a club in the higher half of the league. Yeah, I think you make some good points. I think with Accrington, their style of football and the way they, they see football wins a lot of plaudits if you do sort of see highlights of them or watch them. I think I completely agree with you, Alex, the fact a lot of people were naive about Accrington and didn't realise their their quality. Joe, we've spoken about Rochdale and how Wickham, have, especially Wickham, have to be really smart in their recruitment. It, you have to say it is the same for Accrington Stanley, isn't it, surely? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, that there are sort of comparisons that so you can you can draw between Wickham and Accrington in the sense that they are a club that haven't really got to this level of football through just you know ploughing loads of money into the into the situation. They've they've got there through through smart business and smart recruitment. I think a lot of the players at Accrington um, over the past few years that they've got at the club have sort of stuck around. Um, they've picked up on free transfers or they've done well in the loan business uh, loan window as well this season because. I think Paul Smythe um, from QPR was a, was a massively impressive um, player whenever I saw him. I think I saw him um, first on Sky Sports playing against Sunderland and he was just lightning quick, causing them all sorts of problems. And I think that sort of business is really, you know, what these clubs rely on. You know, if they have a poor window, it's it's going to be trouble for them because, you know, they haven't got, you know, loads of uh, qualities necessary to fall back on. So I think for Wickham and, and Accrington, it's going to be a similar situation over the summer where they've got to get the business right. They've got to um, to recruit well. And I, I, to be honest, I fancy Accrington 
um, to to stay up probably more than Wickham. I think they'll both be in a, in a battle next season, to be honest, um, to stay in the division. Um, uh, I think it will be it will be tough for them, um, especially you know we all talk about second season syndrome. I think for Wickham and Accrington, it could be it could be uh, they could fall victims of that. But you know with uh, with Coleman, you know he's he's he'll give it he'll give it his all, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what 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 they uh, what they do next season. But again. Chris, um, not Chris Coleman, John Coleman, um, as, as sort of he has been unbelievable, and I think you know talk about manager of the season. Um, it's, it'd be tough for me to give it to him um, because they did go through some really bad runs of form, um, and it's difficult to sort of rob uh, someone you know who's been up, up in the top six of, a, of that award. But he's done. He's no doubting. He's done a remarkable job. Yeah. Um, again, very interesting to see uh, how they do, but. Uh, Accrington certainly have, have done very, very well uh, this season. Four teams done. Um, we've got three teams left to talk about: Gillingham, Oxford, and Fleetwood Town. Now let's let's talk now Gillingham. Um, what I did find fascinating about Gillingham was Tom Eaves' goals were very, very key in them getting a 13th place finish. I think um, they did get some big results at key, key times over the season against the sides uh, in and around them when they were in the real midst of a relegation scrap. Um, what was interesting, the biggest story I think of the whole season was sacking Steve Lovell sort of towards the last, back towards the back end of the season when they looked like they weren't going to go down. Um, Joe, I'll start with you on this. I think this is a club that doesn't want to be in the situation they are in every season. They want to progress. It seems as on the outside with the appointment. I mean, I don't want to look too much into next season, but with the appointment of Steve Evans, does it almost look, you know? We want to be this team that wants to be challenging for the playoffs and not just mm-hmm. trying to keep our heads above water every single season. I think I think the appointment of Steve Evans is a, is a real statement of intent for Gillingham because despite the sort of controversy that's going to bring, they're just they're just saying, look, this guy's got uh, experience of getting teams promoted. He's got experience of getting teams into the playoffs. You know, he's got Rotherham promoted from this first level of football before. We're just going to bring him in and just hope for the hope he can do the same. No matter if he's going to bring controversy, get into arguments with referees, uh, you know, bring a not so pretty style of football. We just, you know, we just want results now. And I think it was harsh really to sack Steve Lowell because I felt overall um, it was a it was a pretty decent season for Gillingham. Like I think thirteenth. I think if you ask most Gillingham fans at the start of the season, of course we're all dreaming at the start of the season that we can be the dark horse and we can pull off a miracles. But I think most Gillingham fans would have probably taken that. Um, mm. I, th- I think they've got some good players. I think Eves, obviously, we always talk about as one of those strikers that, that manages to pop up with goals for Gillingham. And I think he's out of contract, so it's going to be tough to keep hold of him. And I think um, Thomas Holy, the goalkeeper as well, I think is there's interest from Ipswich in him. So I think it's going to be tough for Gillingham. Um, and again, we're not talking too much about next season because we're talking about this season, uh, last season. But, you know, I think it was harsh to start level. And I know there's going to be a lot of, sort of fans disappointed with the arrival of Evans but I think they are trying to progress and I think with Lovell um, I think it's similar to almost to Daryl Clark in the sense that he's probably taken Gillingham as far as he can um, and you know mid-table is probably the best you can hope for under him I think they probably want to, to aim a little bit higher um, and uh, of, of course that that's going to be the, t- the target from every team um, and you know of course last season they relied a lot upon the goals of Eves they're going to almost definitely I think have to find someone different to find the goals next season. Yeah, um, some very, very good points raised there. Alex, I mean, Joe talked about how you probably asked Gillingham fans, they snap your hand off for 13th. 
the do you think the style of you know when when obviously we saw the reaction from Gillingham supporters that said sacking Lover wasn't a great surprise. Do you think maybe a lot of them spoke about the displeasure of his style of play? Do you think that that was a factor maybe in his decision to, for Paul Scally to 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 give him the boot essentially? Do you think? Uh, yeah, no doubt it definitely played a part in the decision to get rid of him, but. I'm sure that um, Scally, the chairman, had um, views of who he could um, hire in to replace him and take him forward. And I'm sure he would have had Steve Evans in mind at that point when he sacked him. So it's probably more of a long-term plan out rather than just like a short-term like snap of a fuse um, decision. But is the style of play, I'm not sure how different Evans' style of play will be to what um, Lovell was playing with Gillingham. Obviously, it's going to be massive if they keep Eves. The, the style of play you probably would say is going to sort of follow a similar path. But um, in a sense, um, Evan, in the, the retained list, I was very surprised to see um, Luke O'Neill released from Gillingham. So it might suggest that they're going to go down a different um, avenue of football. But he was just your tip. He's a very solid, like, League One right back. He was, um, I, as a Gillingham fan I work with, actually, and he's um, said he was one of their better performers this season other than Eves. So I was, I'm quite surprised to see him go. So perhaps that's just Evans putting his mark down as if he wants to break mm. away from like, the level style of football and sort of go elsewhere. There's no doubt that um, Luke O'Neill's good enough for league. Well, it wasn't because he wasn't good enough. It's perhaps he's just fancies like a different style of um, fullbacks and wants to break away from the Steve Level football. Yeah, there might be reasons for, for O'Neill's departure, but obviously insiders in the club will won't obviously disclose the information. We now move on to Oxford United. Um, Joe, for a long, long time, it did look like it was going to be a real disaster for Oxford. In the end, they survived <clears throat> very comfortably. Robinson got a lot of flack over the season. You weren't the only one. I think a lot of Oxford supporters were, were very yeah. much against him. Um, <laughs> but in the end, before a ball was kicked, you look at the position and say, that is probably where Oxford are in the table with that squad. Were you happy with the, the finish? Uh, of the team and were you happy with the season overall? Um, it's, it's, it's really difficult to judge as a season overall for Oxford this season because it's almost two separate seasons that we've had. Like The first half was pretty poor, the second half was, was great. So it's difficult to judge as, a, as, as, as an overall when one half was so bad and the second half was so good. Like the second half of the season, towards the end, when we went on that really good run of form that dragged us right up the table, like that was a, you know, that's difficult not to be pleased with that. Um, but early doors, of course, like, you know, the, the start of the season is what really cost us ultimately because we lost, I think, the first four or five games of the season. We got off to a wretched start. Uh, pre-season was a bit of a shambles. I felt um, none of the, we didn't have enough fit players going into the season and it was just a bit, we sort of just like stumbled into the season and I think that was really what cost us. And also we didn't have a big enough squad. Um, I think moving into Christmas time, um, when we lost to Rovers and we lost to we lost to Southend and Plymouth as well in, in in a row. Like those are three games that you'd expect to to be picking up some points, and we lost all three. And it's because we ran out of steam just before the transfer window. So there, there were mistakes made that that basically cost us. Like this team, I think you look at some of the players we've got. It's good enough to, to knock on the door of the playoffs, um, or, or mix it with the likes of Burton, mm. Co- Coventry, who are around there. Um, but you know mistakes. Uh, in recruitment, uh, not having a good enough striker, um, not having, you know, it was, a, it was an imbalanced squad, like that ultimately cost us. And uh, yeah, Carl Robinson's got to, got to learn from his mistakes for next season and obviously he's got a big summer ahead of him. I hope we don't just fall into the same trap again because uh, I think pre-season is going to be key. Um, make sure we get, you know, a good squad 
for the first day of the season fit and ready to go. Like that's what we've got to do. If we have that and we make some some good acquisitions, then we can push on next season. But um, this season's been it's been difficult to judge. Um, but I, I suppose really the, the overriding feeling is frustration because knowing that we had the players, um, you know, there that, that maybe could have achieved something better, but we but we failed to do so. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you rightfully point out obviously that Christmas period where you lost to, to Rovers, to Plymouth, and I think you said Southend as well. That was a real cause of concern. And I went to the away games at Kassam, and I must say I was very, very concerned by Oxford. The fact they looked a team who, who wouldn't have finished as comfortably as they did away from the relegation zone. Alex, were you similar to what I was thinking over that period where they lost three crucial games to three sides who, in the end, finished... Um, worse off than Oxford. Did you? Were you so surprised that they, in the end, just were so comfortable in, in surviving and just had that freakish run to the end of the season? Yeah, there was a point where I genuinely believed Oxford were going to get relegated. I think that must have been about January time before the likes of um, Cashy and Graham really came in and started making their mark and Sinclair and that, how they actually um, played for the second half of the season. But I think what um, Carl Robinson did, he showed um, what his team are capable of in the second half of the season. I think, was it from March onwards in the form table, they're at third or fourth or quite high in the form table. So that shows the level that this Oxford team can play at for next season if he can keep... um, the best players at the club, like I, I know, like Sinclair and Graham are only on loan. Nelson's contracts due to expire. He's a massive player for them. He's captain, isn't he, Joe? Uh, no, we don't really have a designated captain. He was sort of taken off him when he went to a new contract, but oh really? Yeah. Well, he's, he's still an absolutely um, massive player for Oxford, and he's one of the he's a sort of centre half. So well, I'd call him like a leading centre half at this level. Like a lot, like pretty much every team in the league wouldn't like identify him as a weak link if he was in their own team, which is the sort of um, like level of player you look at um, for a club like Oxford this level if you you want you want to keep at your side, and I think next season it's very crucial. As Joe said that um, Robinson learns from perhaps a bit of a torrid pre-season last season, really use the back end of the season to um, keep the players motivated and show and say, look, well we can finish in the playoffs. We can even possibly uh, look higher than that if we just um, repeat um, the similar sort of formulas we've been doing for the second half of the season just gone, but there's no doubt that Oxford have got quality players, which um, are definitely way too good for a relegation battle. They probably should be knocking on the doors of the playoffs, as Joe said. Joe, you begged the question to me about Rovers and the manager and, you know, whether you believe in him or not. Do you believe that Robinson will make and learn learn from the mistakes he made from 12 months previously by the right players that you say that you could could challenge with for, for a top six place next season? Do you believe in him or do you think that maybe you need some some new direction um well it obviously will be carl obviously to for the, for the foreseeable but it's a question that i think i'll be able to answer a little bit better probably at the end of this transfer window because i think that's really going to be you know the a make or break few sort of weeks for for oxford and, and carl robinson because you know this is this is where we really fell down last season like we didn't have we signed some good players last summer don't get me wrong we signed players like you know Gavin White who's been superb Very good um I think he, he he's been excellent and we found a few you know Jamie Mackey I think was a really good addition I think he really gets it I think he offers something on not just on the pitch but off the pitch as well in terms of leadership and we made some 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 decent signings but it was just an imbalanced squad the signings came in too late um there were you know players with poor injury records like we didn't have good enough strikers we took a gamble on Sam Smith up front. It didn't work, um, and and like we need to learn if we if we go in again to next season with sort of half our business still you know still needs to do, 
injured players, unfit players, then I'll, I'll just think to myself, then well, he's learnt nothing, then hasn't he? Because and and that's going to be the if he if he gets business done early, he makes good signings, he learns from mistakes, have a better preseason. We go into the season with you know a good squad of players. Um, that you know most of our business done, eighty or ninety percent of our business done. Then I think, yeah, well, okay, like he's learned from mistakes. So, you know, we, we'll see how we go because we did. He can clearly proven now he can win games towards the end of the season. So we just need to keep that going into next season. I think this uh, the, the summer transfer window is going to be key. Uh, hopefully we can get some, back some of the loan players like Kashi would be great if we can get him back. Luke Garber really came into his own towards the end of the season. Um, we can get them back great. If not, we need to replace them and, and hopefully do it quite early. But if we make the same mistakes, then I'll be of a similar mindset, similar opinion to I was most season, most of the last season that maybe he isn't the right man, but clearly he's earned, he's earned the right to have another go with the form towards the end of last season. The last team we're going to look at on the review is Fleetwood Town. Um, for a first season in management for Joey Barton, I say he's done a, a decent uh, job. Um, finished in 11th place. Uh, they finished in the end 12 points off Doncaster. What I did notice about Fleetwood was it was one of those, I just didn't know what to expect from Joey Barton. I think um, a lot of people sort of saw his reputation and thought, you know, they wanted him to fail because they didn't think he was a nice guy, he was a bit of a, a villain in his playing days and, and what have you. But they were good to watch, I think, at times. They were a good passing team. I think they very much equipped themselves to play sort of a modern way, you know, not the old school stuff. Um, quite, quite, you know, quite a polished team, quite stylish as well. Um Alex, do you think that it's a solid season from Fleetwood and, and Joe Barton? What did you make of their season? I think they're a real sort of weird team to, to, to really look at and, and review at, would you say? Yeah, I completely agree with pretty much everything you said there, actually. Um, I agree in the sense that I didn't really... I was unsure what to expect from Barton when he was given the job. I always thought when he's been a pundit and in interviews, he's taught the game quite well. But as we said with Gary Neville, that doesn't necessarily mean you can be... Um, that effective being the manager having the number one um, duties for a club, but he's um he's given Fleetwood a solid season. I think they're going to be a team to look out for next year. I think they could really push on from this if they manage to perhaps get um someone to fill um the void which Evans left because he scored Chad Evans scored eighteen goals from which is any team would miss that if you take away that strike. His loan's obviously expiring, and then they've just given a new contract to Paddy Madden who scored nineteen goals. So it shows that they have um, strengths. Um, they can create chances for their strikers to score with some um, figures like that. I'm not sure um, any set of strikers in the league could match um, those figures of 37 goals between them. And it, it is um, he, he's he's done a good job. And I think he um, Barton's going to have to use um, uh, this um, solid start to build for next season. But it is such a shame that he showed um, perhaps aside more people were expecting him at that game at Barnsley in um, April where he. Um, Hospitalised Daniel Stendhal, which is it is, is, is the side of ele- okay, allegedly fair enough, but it, it, there's no smoke without fire, is what people is what the phrase is commonly used, mm. and it is the side of Barton, which has always let him down throughout his career, because he, he was a good player. Like he showed um at Burnley and Rangers, particularly towards the latter stage of his playing career, he showed um that when he actually does have his head down and plays with a good attitude, he's he's got tremendous ability, and that sort of um been reflected so far in his managerial career because he's he's done well but then he just um his hot head sort of let him down towards the end of the season he could have easily have lost his job and then ultimately perhaps could have cost him his managerial career as a whole that incident there's some fantastic points made there alex do you think joe do you think touching what alex said about the alleged head button um hospitalizing daniel stendhal the the, the barnsley man do you think that that took away the actual 
decent good job that he did at the Highbury Stadium for this season based <laughs> all on the one incident and it all floods back to his old reputation would you, would you agree with that or would you say that that's that's not really relevant well I think Barton will be sort of devastated with how that sort of played out towards the end of the season because I think again you rightly say that it does sort of feed back into the reputation um, that he's had his whole career and yeah, I I agree with basically what you you guys have been saying in the sense that I think Fleetwood have been a good side next season. They've not been uh, this season rather. They've been a, they've not been scintillating, but I think they've had a good solid season and they've built some good foundations to kick on for next season. And uh, I think you know he's done a relatively good job for, for Fleetwood this season. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't really know. I don't really know what happened. Um, you know, with Barnes, there's lots of rumours, lots of lots of stuff going around there. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend to know what happened in there, but I think he'll be gutted with how it sort of played out, and um, hopefully he can. You know, hopefully you know it was nothing untoward happened, and he can he can kick on. But as, as a manager, because I think he shows good signs early on um, of a, of a promising young manager um, at Fleetwood. Um, good first season. I think that's always the most difficult. The first season, he's got through that um, with an eleventh place finish, which is decent for Fleetwood. Um, after they sort of struggled, you know, was struggling against relegation last season. Um, so yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting. I think I think I agree with Brum that you know they they will be one to look out for next season. I wouldn't be surprised to see them knocking on the door of the top six next season if they sort of can replace that centre forward. Of, of course, as Brum said, and Chad Evans, and um, you know, do good business uh, sort of around that as well. But yeah, it's been a solid season, good first season for Joe Barton. Um, disappointing sort of with how it ended uh, in in that with that incident at Barnsley. Yeah, great points raised, but that is unfortunately all right, we have time Before we end, before we end quick, can I just ask you both, out of the teams we've just listed, which team do you think is most likely to go down and which team do you think finish highest out of the seven teams we've just listed? Do you want me to go, me to go uh, first? Yeah, I'll you go first next season. Just who do you think is going to most likely to go down? Who do you think is most likely to get promoted? Well, out of the teams I think we've predicted, um, to go down, I think it's more obvious than going up. Sorry to say, Alex, I think Wickham. I think it'd <laughs> I was be a, a real big, big struggle. Um, if, if Rangers can work Wanders, then fair play to him. Um, but I think the writing does look at this current predicament on the wall, but that's the early stages, obviously. Um, in terms of that bracket, I would probably have to say Fleetwood. Um, yes, OK, they, they finished the highest out of everyone else, but we talked about it there. They, they built good foundations and they are very much a team that could knock on the door with a few quality additions because they are very, very similar, I think, in how they play with Doncaster at times. So mm, I think yeah. they could be the ones to touch the top six. Joe? Um, most likely to go down probably Wickham, just due to the fact that it, just due to the fact that budget's being cut even further. It wasn't even that big to begin with. Uh, it'll be a massively tough job for Ainsworth over the summer. Um, to go up, probably either Fleetwood or Oxford. Depends on like the business they do over the summer, um, who they can bring in. Like if Oxford do some good business, get back some of the lone players, uh, carry that momentum um, that we had towards the end of last season into into this sort of season, upcoming season, the nineteen twenty season. Then. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got a good chance of, you know, finishing relatively high up in the division. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, hopefully, hope for the best. Obviously, I'm going to be biased. And Fleetwood, as I said, look, you know, they're they're developing nicely. I think with a few good um, signings, they they could be challenging as well. I think um, Fleetwood is. I agree with you too. I think they'll probably finish the highest out of um, those seventeen. I think they've got like good foundations laid from Barton for next season. I think that was always going to be the aim. Set themselves up 
better for the season afterwards. I don't think they're ever really going to challenge promotion the season just gone by. They're always looking more long-term rather than um, short-term with Barton. And from an outside view, I probably would say Wickham too, but I just know that Ainsworth's always got something up his sleeve. And we never, since he said he made many mistakes in that 13-14 season, we always talked about the football league. We never really um, had a bad season since that season um, Mm. under him. So I think he's going to keep that trend going. And he knows he's got the full support of the fans and the club and the board and everyone's always right behind him. And I think it really helps when a club's like united like that rather than divided with some people wanting them out, some people wanting them in, some people not really sure. I think everyone at Wickham is like keen for him to keep the job and do well. So I'm going to say I think Rochdale might struggle a bit next season. I think it's going to be Barry Murphy's first proper pre-season as um, a manager. It is going to be interesting to see how he handles that, how he, how he uses uh, transfer markets. He hasn't yet to make a sign-in as Rochdale manager, so I'm not sure how good his contacts in the game will be to be able to pick up some of the hidden gems before other clubs manage to get to him. So I can see Rochdale possibly struggling next season. All right, well, that wraps up the podcast uh, from the review of 17th to 11th. As always, uh, thanks, Alex, for your brilliant uh, words and uh, input. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you, Alex. Very kind. Uh, no problem. And uh, once again, thanks, Joe. Uh, same thing as I said to Alex. Thanks for your input and uh, thanks for making some uh, very, very good points. Thank you for that. Yeah, no problem, Marcy, mate. Cheers. Uh, we'll be back next week, uh, continuing the uh, season review. And we'll also uh, probably brief discussion on the playoff final that has taken place on Sunday um, feel free to subscribe to Spotify where the podcast is uh, and if you haven't already followed the Twitter page at L1Lowdown the Instagram page and the Facebook page the podcast will be posted uh, later on today uh, we'll see you well, we'll see you next week uh, and have a great day bye bye